you would please be seated and take your Bibles and open once again to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. This morning we will only begin to wade out into this chapter, but as we do so, we must not forget where we've been. This is why we asked our good friend and brother Jeremy to begin reading at the end of chapter 1 and then just to continue right on into chapter 2 so that we would not forget the context of of what Peter has already told us and reminded us in chapter 1. Peter has explained, he has magnified our blessings and our great privileges in Christ. Peter has encouraged us, his readers, to continually grow in our faith. Remember what what he talked about, how we're to supplement our faith with virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. We're to do this. Peter has stated that his purpose for writing is so that we would always be able to recall, that we would always remember the truth that is so essential for us. Peter has directed, in the very last part of chapter 1, he's directed our hearts to the glories of God's Word, to the authority of God's Word, to the sufficiency of God's Word. And now, Peter turns his attention in chapter 2 to the simple. I would even say the unnecessary topic of false teachers. I mean, quite honestly, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that, that, that Peter would spend so much time addressing this topic. Doesn't Peter know that the people of God were never influenced by false teaching and false teachers? Doesn't Peter know that the people of God we're basically batting a thousand when it, when it comes to this topic. Doesn't Peter know his Old Testament history? That the nation of Israel always dealt so decisively and so firmly and so courageously with false teachers? I hope you're picking up my sarcasm. I'm putting it down pretty thick. Yes, Peter knows his church history. He knows the history of the people of God, which is why he now spends so much time on this topic. And I think that the Apostle Peter would gladly agree with and recognize the validity of what the Apostle Paul wrote when he expressed his concern for the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So, listen, before we even get to 2 Peter chapter 2, I want us to Feel the weight of what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 11 and Paul's heart for the people of God. Paul wrote in 11, chapter 11, verse 2, he said, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid, I am afraid... That as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now, look at what Paul writes next. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted it. Look at what Paul writes next. You put up with it readily enough. How dare you, says Paul. How dare you. The people of God have historically not dealt well with false teachers. 
Which is why now chapter 2 has the full weight that it does. And why Peter writes with such force and with strength behind it. Peter unveils for us in these first three verses. He shows us just something. We will continue this on in the weeks to come. But he shows us something of the presence of false teachers, the practice of false teachers, the popularity of false teachers, and then lastly, the pain of false teachers. The pain. Now again, I don't want to sound like a broken record. For those of you who don't know what a broken record is, that's like a short TikTok video that gets stuck on repeat, okay? I don't want to sound like that. But as we get started here in chapter 2, again, I'm, I'm going to reiterate the point I, I just made. We cannot afford to lose sight of the context of where chapter 2 falls. We cannot afford to forget the context of what Peter just told us at the end of chapter 1. Peter has reminded us of something that is huge, of something that is of primary importance. Peter has just taught us about the treasure and the gift of God's Word. If you weren't here last week to hear Pastor Stephen preach on this, You need to go back and you need to listen to that message. Peter wrote at the end of chapter 1 that we know this first of all. That no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along By the Holy Spirit, Peter is emphasizing yet again our need, our desperate need to hear and to honor and to pay close attention to God's word. And with that now in mind, what is the first word of chapter two? It is the word, but, but what, but false prophets also arose among the people just as their will be, not might be, not could be, there will be false teachers among you. So please note this on your outline. Here we see the presence of false teachers. They are present. So Peter's point is courageously walk in truth. Courageously walk in truth. That is Peter's point in light of the context. God is with us. God is for us. God's word has been entrusted to God's people. We are to fear the Lord. We are not to fear false teachers. We are to live. We are to stand upon the truth of God's word. We are not to cower in the shadows. We are to be watchful and discerning and joyfully alert as we look for and long for the return of Jesus Christ. So instead of fearing false teachers, God's word equips us and teaches us how to deal with them, how to reject what is false, how to cling to what is good, how to challenge and how to confront error, how to call those who are trapped in darkness out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now notice again, how Peter begins chapter 2. He begins by making a comparison, making a uh, drawing our mind to two things that are alike. Chapter 2 begins with these words, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false 
teachers among you. So false prophets among the people, false teachers among you. Now, this begs a very obvious question. Who are the people? Who are the people that Peter is referring to as he begins that verse? Well, this is the people of God in the Old Testament. This is the nation of Israel. This is the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who had been entrusted with the word of God. So buckle up, because throughout chapter 2, Peter's going to make numerous allusions to the Old Testament. Numerous illustrations that highlight for us the disastrous consequences of false teachers. The disastrous consequences of walking away from the wise, gracious, living, abiding Word of God. Throughout chapter 2, Peter's going to do such things like this. He's going to call our minds back to the flood. He's going to remind us of the truth of Noah and, and the flood. Peter's going to remind us of God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Peter's going to remind us, and I love this, next week, you've got to come back for this. Pastor Stephen's going to be preaching on God's saving, gracious work in Lot's life. Remember Lot, the nephew of Abraham, that wily guy? You're going to come back. We're going to talk a lot about Lot next week. Uh, later, uh, Peter's going to talk to us about Balaam and his talking donkey. What does that have to do with anything? Come back in a few weeks. Actually, that'll be after Easter. So you've got to wait till after Easter for that. It's going to be worth the wait. Okay, come back then. But the point is to kick it all off. Peter begins by reminding us how false prophets did what? They continually arose among the people of Israel. And sadly, their effect, it was like cancer. It was like gangrene, bringing rot and death and confusion and chaos among God's people. And of course, and we've, all, we've already been reminded of this, from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, but of course, the very first false prophet, the very first false teacher, was Satan himself in Genesis 3. And what did he attack? He attacked the Word of God, saying so scandalously, so shockingly, so brazenly, did God really say? Did God actually say, you can't trust him, Eve. You will not surely die. He promised them that they would not die if they ate the fruit. What happened? They died. He's a liar. He, he knowingly and willingly defied and undermined the truthfulness of God and the goodness of God. And Eve bought into it and she gave the fruit to her husband. And I'll tell you, every false teacher follows in these footsteps of rejecting and denying the character of God and the goodness of God and the truthfulness of God. This is why in Deuteronomy 13 and verse chapter 18, sorry, Deuteronomy 13 and 18, God directly warns the people to not tolerate false teachers, that they are actually worthy of death, that their influence must be removed from the land completely. And of course, if you know your Old Testament history well, Israel did not do well with this. They did not do well. They tolerated. They embraced. They listened to false 
prophets. And so many years later, through the prophet Jeremiah, God would lament these false prophets. And he would describe these false prophets and the deplorable condition of his people because they were listening to the false prophets. Here's what God says through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 23, verse 14. God says, but in the prophets of Jerusalem... I have seen a horrible thing. A horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. Stop there for a moment. It's it's interesting how God describes these false prophets as morally corrupt and dishonest. Immoral living is coupled with immoral teaching. The reason why I bring this up, Peter's going to make the same point in, in just a few moments. Read on. We read next. God says they strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. That's the fruit of false teaching. It never results in repentance. It never results in godliness. False teaching, it does not exist in a vacuum. No, it leads to something. It leads to rotten fruit. It leads to ongoing slavery to sin. Read on. God says through Jeremiah, all of them have become like Sodom to me and its its inhabitants like Gomorrah. God's not impressed. He is not entertained by what he sees. He is repulsed. He is angered by those who willingly lie about his character and and nature and lead his people astray. And so we read in verse 15, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink for the prophets uh, of Jerusalem. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. Now, keep that thought in mind. Ungodliness. It, it started here with this these false prophets, and it's now moved out. It has gone out into all the land. Again, false teaching, much like cancer and gangrene, it never stays in one place. It spreads and it infects and it does damage to the people of God and it does damage to the testimony of the people of God. Now keep that in mind. Peter's going to say the same thing in just a few moments. Read on verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, God says, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. And they are vain hopes because they are hopes not grounded in God. They are hopes not grounded in the word of God and in the promises of God. They are, they are vain hopes. And then God says this, they speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. And this will be a recurring theme that Peter will come back to again and again that false prophets and false teachers they speak from their own mind. They teach just out of their own feelings. They share pleasant words that are attractive and appealing to our desires, but their words do not come from God. They do not reflect him and his character and his nature. So the Old Testament it is littered with examples of false prophets and in the New Testament We are continually warned, brothers and sisters, to stay on guard. 
We are continually warned to be watchful and to be careful and to be discerning. Do you remember how Paul left things with the Ephesian elders in, I believe it's Acts 20? As Paul had that last moment, that last time with the Ephesian elders, what is it he would challenge them to do and challenge them to remember? How would he help prepare them for what they were about to face? Here's what we read in Acts 20, verse 28. Paul says, pay careful attention. And notice what he says to pay careful attention to. To yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And then Paul says this, I know that after my departure, fierce Wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So, yes, false teachers are coming, and they will keep coming. What should we do? Paul says, be alert, be ready, be prepared. Pay attention to yourselves and to the flock. Stand firm on the word of God's grace. It is sufficient, it is gloriously sufficient to build you up, to strengthen you, to equip you until that day, says Paul, that you receive your full inheritance in the presence of Jesus Christ. So the presence of false teachers, they are present, but we are to courageously walk in truth. Next, number two, Peter talks about the false teachers' practice, their practice. They are deceptive and deceived. They are doctrinally destructive and they disrupt unity. They are self-governed and reject the lordship of Christ. And they lead and teach from a position of immorality and greed. I know that is a mouthful. I don't expect you to memorize that or tweet that. We're going to spend a few minutes working through these uh, Working through this point, um, we're going to linger here. That's intentional. The last two points are very quick. As we look at these verses, though, we want to consider these descriptions piece by piece. The first is, they are deceptive and deceived. They are deceptive and deceived. Peter writes at the end of verse 1 that these false teachers come in secretly bringing destructive heresies. They secretly bring in these destructive heresies. You've probably noticed this. False teachers don't advertise themselves as false teachers. They don't wear a name badge that says, Hello, I am determined to try and ruin your soul. They don't wear that name tag. They don't walk in on day one and announce, I am opposed to the essential elements of the gospel. I have no intention of submitting to Jesus Christ. No, I am, I am here to lead you astray. Come and join me on the path to destruction. No, they don't come in like that. They come in secretly. They come in subtly. And how do they do this? By appearing to be a genuine follower of Christ. 
Chuck Swindoll writes in his commentary these words, saying, False teachers often appear doctrinally sound, personally attractive and sincere, and logically compelling. But they are deceivers, mind-benders, and truth-twisters. He's right. False teachers leave the truth, but they don't leave the church. That's the problem. No, they hang around. They use Christian-sounding, orthodox-sounding language, but they manufacture their own bizarre meanings and applications. As Warren Wearsby so rightly said, false teachers use our vocabulary, but they do not use our dictionary. Right? We sound the same, but we mean very different things. So, again, this is why, brothers and sisters, we must listen carefully. We must be students of the Word of God, searching the Scriptures. We must ask questions like, what do you mean by that? As we try to discern what people are actually teaching and saying. False teachers, they are deceptive And they themselves are deceived. They are largely ignorant about the destruction that they are racing towards. Peter writes at the end of verse 1, again saying that they are bringing upon themselves swift destruction. They are running over a cliff. They are aggressively swimming over Niagara Falls. They are jumping into an active volcano. They do not recognize the incredible danger that they are in. And so Peter's point is obvious. Don't follow them into that volcano. Don't run with them off that cliff, no matter how sincere they look. No matter how orthodox they sound at first, no matter how passionately they argue for their private interpretations and their clever teachings, don't follow them, don't believe them. Entrust your soul to Christ. Entrust your soul to the Christ presented in the Word of God in all His sufficiency and His glory. Next, Peter reminds us they are doctrinally destructive and they disrupt unity. Peter defines their heresies as destructive heresies in verse 1. He says they're secretly, they bring in these destructive heresies. And these are destructive heresies. They, they spread, they disrupt peace and unity within the body of Christ. And, and, and it is necessary in one sense that they disrupt unity because faithful brothers and sisters, faithful leaders, faithful elders must stand up and they must call destructive heresies what they are. That they are dangerous, they are wrong, they are false, they are opposed to Christ and to his gospel. Again, I think Chuck Swindoll helpfully explains these heresies in his commentary when he writes, The term heresy, it comes from the Greek word heresis, which conveys the idea of making a choice. With stealth and cleverness, the heretics offer up alluring alternatives to the truth. They create something much more appealing and seductive, urging others to make a choice as they consider an alternative way of thinking. This isn't always an offensive or obvious affront to the truth. Rather, they secretly introduce their doctrines, camouflaging them in something that looks like the truth in form, but denies it in substance. He's right. 
He's right. All destructive heresies, at least that make their way around the church, they will be camouflaged in something that at first glance looks like the truth and even smells like the truth at first glance, but it is not the truth. Now, brothers and sisters, having said that, and I I hope, I hope, I'll say this, I think this is okay, I hope you're a little on edge right now. I, 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 I intend to preach this with the urgency that I think Peter wrote it. Okay, I, I want you to feel the urgency of this. I want you to understand the gravity of this situation. And at the same time, I want to add this important clarification. I want to add this important reminder. Please, please note this on your outline, okay? <laughs> this is important. Not everyone who disagrees with you is a false teacher. Amen? Right? Not everyone who disagrees with you on every issue is a false teacher. There are, brothers and sisters, there are lots of secondary issues on which Christians can and do disagree. Okay, the false teachers that Peter is addressing here. Listen, are those who knowingly, willingly, and passionately deny or grossly distort an essential doctrine of the faith and of the gospel. In just a few verses, let me give you an illustration of this. In just a few verses, at the end of chapter 3, Peter himself is going to acknowledge that some of what Paul writes, some of what the Apostle Paul writes, Peter is going to say is, quote, hard to understand. Right? True. True. Some of what Paul writes can be hard to understand. Peter gets that. Not, not everything about the Christian life and the faith is equally easy to understand. And as believers, we often wrestle with various passages and doctrines that can be difficult to comprehend. And yet, there is a big difference between that between wrestling with some different passages and verses and wrestling with how we understand and, and, and apply secondary doctrinal issues. There's a difference between that and someone who is aggressively and passionately denying an essential doctrine of the faith. Someone who is aggressively and passionately denying the clear message of the gospel, the clear message of the Christian faith that, as Jude says, has been handed down and given once for all to the church. For example, a false teacher is someone who rejects the inspiration of Scripture. Someone who claims that God's word, it is not complete, it is not authoritative. False teachers are often those who they, they so strongly want to promote and encourage everybody to come to something other than God's Word. Come to my dreams, my visions, my alleged angelic encounters. Come to my impressions and my bizarre private interpretations of Scripture that nobody's ever heard of because they're not based in any sound hermeneutics whatsoever. No, a false teacher is someone who denies the Trinity, who denies that the Father is God, that the Son is God, that the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there is but one God. 
A false teacher lies about the true humanity and the undiminished deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is fully God and he is fully man. A false teacher intentionally seeks to mislead others about the perfect work and the sufficient life of Jesus Christ. This is someone who rejects the virgin birth of Jesus. This is someone who denies and resents the substitutionary death of Christ for sinners like us. This is someone who rejects the bodily resurrection and the, and the glorious soon return of Jesus. A false teacher rejects the truth of who we are as created in the image of God, as, as created male and female, like we sang this morning, that we exist for the glory of God and that we have been lost and ruined in sin False teachers deny this reality. A false teacher will always find a way to distort and deny salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're always looking for ways to add to Christ, to add to his perfect and finished work. And a false teacher will not tell you the truth about the joys and the glories of eternal life in Christ, and they will not tell you the truth about the horrors and the condemnation of being separated from Christ. There are destructive heresies, brothers and sisters, that must be rejected. Not only that, says Peter, these false teachers, they are self-governed and they reject the lordship of Christ. And we should say that they are self-governed because Peter explains in verse 3 that they are driven by greed. They are driven by their desires. In verse 12, Peter says that they are, quote, like creatures of instinct. They're, they're like creatures of instinct, just following their feelings and doing whatever feels right and good in the moment. In verse 14, Peter's going to say that they have their hearts trained in greed. They are self-governed and, Peter says, they reject the lordship of Christ. They reject the lordship of Christ. Peter says in the middle of verse 1 that a characteristic of their teaching and lifestyle is that they are even denying the master who bought them. Now, that is an amazing statement. It is designed to show us. It is designed to express the hypocrisy and the absurdity of these false teachers. These false teachers, remember, they claim to belong to Christ. They, they, they love to speak of Jesus in some kind of elevated language. They, 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 they may even say verbally, yeah, he's master, he's good, he's, he's the Lord. They boast that they even belong to him, that they have been purchased by him. And yet, says Peter... They deny the master in that they ultimately refuse to submit to him, which, of course, shows us what it shows us that they do not have a proper understanding of and they do not have a right relationship with Jesus. They deny the master. They will not submit to his word. They do not treasure him. They do not truly respect him. They do not love him. In any kind of genuine way. You say, how can you say that? You don't know their heart. I didn't say it. Jesus did. Jesus said in John fourteen fifteen, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
these false teachers evidence the fact that they do not love the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says again in John 14, 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Brothers and sisters, God the Father and God the Son are in complete agreement on this point. If you love Jesus, you will honor his word. You will keep his word. That will be a fruit that comes about in your life. And false teachers, they deny the master. They deny his lordship. They deny the authority of his word. And as Peter makes clear, they, along with everyone else on the planet, they rightfully owe their allegiance to King Jesus. They do. Whether they know it or not, and they don't, they do not recognize recognize it as they should. They owe their allegiance to King Jesus. As as John read from, from Revelation 5 this morning, Jesus is the rightful heir of all things. He is glorious. He is deserving. He is worthy. He is Master and Lord. By virtue of His atoning death, He has purchased at the very least common grace for all People, by virtue of his redemptive work, Jesus has made the perfect sacrifice for sin by which any and all can come to him and find life and forgiveness. And yet these false teachers, they make a mockery of Jesus's saving work. They make a mockery of Jesus' purchasing work by denying the authority of the very Savior that they claim to follow. And that is twisted. And that is shameful, and that is Peter's point. Now, lastly, for this section, these false teachers, they lead and teach from a position of immorality and greed. Peter writes in verse 2 that many will follow what? Many will follow their teaching, their books, their ideas, their thoughts. Many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Now, this is interesting. The Greek word here, translated as sensuality, it is in the plural form. It is Peter is highlighting that there is a multitude of ways that sexual sin and immoral behavior can manifest itself and can show itself. Peter's point is that these false teachers, when their lives are uncovered, when they are exposed, they reveal all kinds of different sexual sins. False teachers, they don't just teach bad doctrine, they actually set a bad example. And Jesus talked about this in Matthew 7, where Jesus said that you can know a tree by its fruit, and you can know a a, a true teacher and a false teacher from the fruit of the life. It was pastor and author John MacArthur who noted in his commentary saying, a teacher may claim to be God's spokesman, but if his life is characterized by corruption, lust, and immorality, it proves that he is actually a fraud. He's right. He's right. Time and truth go hand in hand. Time and truth go hand in hand. Over time, someone's character will be revealed for what it really is. So, we've considered the false teacher's presence. 
We've considered the false teacher's practice. Now, number three, the false teacher's popularity. The popularity. Sadly, noted on your outline, sadly, many, many will buy into false teaching because it appeals to our pride. It appeals to our sinful desires. I wish it were not so, but false teachers are are popular. Many are happy to follow them. False teachers, they often get lucrative book deals. The Oprah invites them to come on television and do a special with her. Uh, The false teachers, they have much to be concerned with as they evaluate the different colors of their private jets. They are popular. Peter writes, many, many will follow their sensuality. And if, if we understand the human heart, if we understand what God says and teaches about the reality of our hearts apart from Christ, it's really not hard to understand why false teachers are popular. A message, a message of always follow your heart. A message of always trust your feelings. A message of yes, feel free to live out your sexual fantasies. A message of be true to whatever you want to believe that God made you to be. Just embrace that. and Whatever that is for you, just go after it. A message of you always deserve to be happy. A message of you always deserve to have all of the money and all of the nice things. Yes, this is a, this is a popular message. This is how false teachers work. Listen, false teachers, they work people. They work people. They manipulate people. They use people. Peter says here explicitly, they exploit you. They exploit you. They prey upon your feelings and your desires. They work through your lusts and through your desires. They do this by tapping into our pride, into our self-centered emotions. The Apostle John also wrote about this thing. He warned us. The New Testament, from beginning to end, warns us about who we follow and who we listen to. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 2.16, reminding us, for all that is in the world, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride in possessions, this is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Brothers and sisters, we must remember what the false teacher is offering you will never last, does not last. It is fading away. It is cheap. It is hollow. It is flimsy. It is so temporary. But writes John, whoever does the will of God abides forever. Abides forever in joy, in glory, with Christ, beholding the magnificence of His, of His worthiness. But the world, the sinful desires of the flesh and of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, it is, it is passing, baby. It is moving. It is fading quickly. Which brings us to our last point, the false teacher's pain. How does it all end for the false teacher? In a word, horribly, horribly. The false teacher brings 
pain and misery and destruction upon himself and his followers. The end of verse 1, Peter says that false teachers are, quote, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Their destruction will come. And it will come swiftly and, and quickly when they least expect it. In the second half of verse 3, Peter writes, Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Simon Kistemacher, in his commentary, writes this about this verse, saying, These teachers who have received God's verdict are like prisoners on death row. Their condemnation is just hanging over them. Judgment and destruction are two forces there are, that are at work and awake to fulfill their mandate in obedience to God. God will not permit these wicked men to escape their punishment. So, false teachers, they do. They bring about pain, eternal pain for themselves and for their followers and for right here and for right now. False teachers cause pain and confusion through their hypocritical and immoral behavior. Did you notice what Peter wrote at the very end of chapter sorry, at the very end of verse two? Peter writes these words Many will follow their sensuality, here it is, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. When false teachers claiming to be Christian are exposed and shown to be what they are in their greed and in their sensuality and in their immorality, when their manipulative behavior is exposed and uncovered, what is the result? You, you know the result. The world mocks. The world laughs at the gospel. The world mocks and laughs at Christ and at the people of God. So on the one hand... False teachers, they create strife and division and confusion inside the church. And then, on the other hand, when they are exposed, they give occasion for the world to laugh at the church. They give occasion for the world to laugh at Christ and to say how silly and hypocritical and selfish and stupid all these Christians are. This is wrong. This is disastrous. It was uh, Dr. Al Mohler who recently said on his daily podcast show called The Briefing. It's a wonderful show. If you don't listen to it, you should. It's a great thing. But he said this the other day. It'll be on the screens. He said, quote, Bad theology produces more than just more bad theology. He's right. There's, there's more damage that happens. It's not just that bad theology creates more bad theology. That would be bad enough. But he goes on, it impugns the very character of historic biblical Christianity and confuses the world about its moral and theological convictions. He's right. This is horrible. So brothers and sisters, coming back to us coming back to the position and the blessings and the privileges that we have received in Christ, what should we do? What would Peter have us to do? Brothers and sisters, let us continue in the faith. Let us 
continue to run the race that God has laid before us. Listen, don't you dare lose sight of what Peter has just told us in chapter 1. Remember, remember what he said? Make every effort to do what? To supplement your faith. To continue to build and to grow in your faith. He said to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge and your knowledge with self-control and your self-control with steadfastness and your steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Continue on in the faith. Continue to build and to grow in Christ. Be devoted to Christ. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. Love the truth of God's word. Do as Peter has told us to do that we do well to pay attention to this lamp that shines in a dark place. And brothers and sisters, let us graciously speak and show the world what it actually means to follow Christ, what it really means to know Jesus and to walk in love and grace and truth as Christ walked, as he modeled and showed to us. And so we close with this. In 1 John 4, 4, remember this. John told the brothers and sisters, he's writing to 1 John 4, 4, saying, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. You say, who's the them? If you go back in context, it is those false teachers that have gone out into the world. John tells his readers, little children, you are from God. You have overcome them. You say, what? How? I don't remember doing that. When did I overcome them? How did I overcome them? John goes on, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Do not fear the false teachers. Christ has already overcome them. You courageously walk in grace and truth. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we have so much to be thankful for. You have been so good to us to reveal Yourself to us, to open our eyes that we would behold the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, we do, we know this because Your Word tells us this. We live in a world where there are many dangers and toils and snares and things that would seek to distract us from the truth of the Gospel and from the truth of Christ. Lord, we pray that we would be prepared to meet those obstacles when they come, that we would meet those temptations, that we would see them for what they are, and that we would continue to follow after Christ. Lord, help us to heed the warning. Help us to heed the counsel that Peter gives to us here, that we uh, would not be discouraged, that we would not be downcast, but that we would be joyfully awake and joyfully alert to what you have around us, that we would live and speak and move for your honor and glory. Lord, we pray that even as we leave here today, that you would be glorified in us and through us. And we pray this in Jesus' good and precious name. Amen. If you would please, we'll close singing together.